Well, hello and welcome to the June 2021 Mark Leverage podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Last month, I had a very special podcast because rather than having a number of different topics to talk about, I had a theme, the theme being the six things that we might want to think about doing as we come out of lockdown in preparation for live shows again. And uh, if you listen to that, I hope you found it useful. This month, however, we go back to the tried and tested format of me putting together a selection of topics for me to chat about. And I hope that you're going to enjoy the, uh, the lineup that I've got for you this time. I'm going to start by talking about humble beginnings. Just recently, the, I've had a number of different examples of people who have achieved greatness but who have done so from very either disadvantaged or certainly very humble beginnings. At the moment, I'm reading Barack Obama's latest book, A Promised Land, and that is a classic example of somebody who, in the face of all adversity, ended up being, well, basically the most important and powerful man on the planet. And seeing the struggles that he had early on and the disadvantages that he was facing from all quarters of American society, it's absolutely fascinating to hear his take on it all and how he was able to overcome it and eventually become tremendously successful. So that's a sort of an ongoing thing because I'm still reading that book at the moment. But then um, recently I watched uh, Rocket Man, which is the biography of Elton John. And that film also shows the, the, the quite harsh background that he came from, something that I had never fully appreciated about him. And the, the long-term success that he managed to achieve in, in show business as a singer and writer was really against all the odds when you see how he, bega how he began. And then there's Sir Alex Ferguson. There's a new documentary which has been produced, I think, by one of his sons, about him, which is I've seen an early edition of, and it's very, very interesting. Again, his background of his family and where he came from in uh, in Scotland shows that he had extremely humble beginnings and yet turned into what is he, a person who is arguably the greatest football manager that's ever lived. And then if you take that into, for instance, the magic field, the Bristol Society of Magic uh, are celebrating 100 years of existence and they're doing one or two special things in order to celebrate it and one of the things they had recently was an evening with Darren Brown which was put on Zoom and in this Darren talks about again his start because he, he started in Bristol he was a close-up magician in his early days and worked restaurants and venues in the local area and you hear in the way that he started and you think about the, the acclaim that he has now achieved in mentalism and in entertainment and, and showbiz generally. And then you see how he started. It makes you realise that he too initially wasn't quite sure who he wanted to be, how his magic was going to turn out. And it gradually formulated itself into the stardom that he now, now enjoys. So... All of these things made me realise, and there's lots more examples, you know, Morecambe and Wise, for instance, they started, had terrible trouble getting their foot on the, the lower rung on the ladder of success in show business, and yet they went on to become the greatest double act ever. And, and there are lots and lots more examples in business and in entertainment generally. But it made, what it makes you realise is that 
we all start from somewhere and that people who achieve greatness are those who are not put off in the early days by setbacks, that they have an inner belief, that they almost triumph in the face of adversity, maybe almost because of the adversity, it makes them stronger and more able to do the things that they ultimately really wanted to do, but it never looked like they would manage to achieve. And I think that's wonderful because so often we all expect to get things fairly easily these days. Everything is instant gratification, whether it's ordering something online or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's all there almost before we thought about it. And it's all very, very, everything comes very easy. And a lot of people are reasonably well off and can afford most things perhaps within reason that they might like. So that, that idea of it being difficult to achieve is not so much so prevalent perhaps today. And yet for those people that it, do, that it is, and for those people who have struggled early on, it does seem to be sometimes the making of them, but only because they've got the strength of character to pursue it. So when you're starting out in magic, if things don't appear to be going well, don't give up because you never know what the greatness might just be around the corner. Those of you who are either regular listeners to this podcast or who are regular readers of my blog, Chatter, which is on my website every month, will probably have picked up on the fact that I'm not a big fan of social media. And there was another example of why I have a certain amount of disdain for it. Recently, when the Magic Circle Facebook page once more erupted into a load of vitriol, with the result that the president, Noel Britton, ended up resigning his post. And it seems to me that uh, this sort of situation is, is, is totally ridiculous. Noel is one of the nice guys in magic. He tries and tried extremely hard, and I think with a certain amount of uh, notable success in a very difficult presidency, in a time where with the lockdown and everything else, all the other difficulties, he managed to make some initiatives which I think were to the benefit of members of the Magic Circle. But for those people who didn't like the way he was doing things or who didn't like the, the direction that the Magic Circle appeared to be going in, the amount of um, backlash, if you like, on social media that was evident for all to see was unpleasant and unseemly. Now, I'm, I'm, I have to admit to you that I, I haven't actually read this firsthand because I just don't deal with social media. I've got other things to do, quite frankly. However, uh, having talked to others who have and been given the information about what went on, it does seem a huge pity that this sort of thing goes on, even in the magic world. We see it all the time, don't we, in general life, that um, social media with trolls and various other things like this it can really be... A, a terrible thing when people get pilloried for their views or for their actions in and the general public seems to on some elements of the general public seem to rather enjoy anonymously slating people or worse and i suppose when you are uh, a public a big important public figure whether it's a politician or it's a famous footballer or actor or singer then some people say, well, you're fair game for that. Well, no, you're not really, are you? Why should you have to put up with that? 
Um, it's funny because in, in the old days, looking at magic in particular, in the old days, it's not like nobody ever fell out with anybody. It's not like we were all, oh, yes, everybody's wonderful and everything's great. No, it wasn't. There were disputes, long lasting disputes, for instance, between Harry Lorraine and Richard Kaufman in their respective magazines. They would take opportunities to have a go at each other for various reasons, even though they used to work together at one point, they fell out. And their magazines in Richard Kaufman's Kaufman's Almanac in his Bull column, for instance, and in Harry Lorraine's um, editorial pieces in Apocalypse, they would take pops at one another. But the only the difference that I see there is that they had with a magazine that appears once a month, you've got a certain amount of time to consider what you're going to say. Doesn't mean to say you're not going to say it. But it's not a knee-jerk reaction that social media can be, where somebody can read something and instantly throw out a riposte or throw out an opinion without thinking it through and without perhaps couching it in language that's suitable or appropriate. Whereas in the old days, I say there was more time to think about these things. So in some ways, I feel that wasn't quite so bad. And I'm sure there are lots of things that people could have said but which they thought about it and before they got the opportunity to write a letter to a magazine or write directly to the person and say something, because it had to be sit down with a piece of paper and actually physically write it down, you had time to reconsider. Actually, maybe it's not a good idea to say some of these things, even though I'm absolutely steamingly mad about this. Is it worth it? Whereas unfortunately, I feel that with social media, there isn't that the, the there's no break on that. People can do it instantly and also anonymously, as I've mentioned, and, and that also is not a good thing because sometimes you don't even know who it is is having a go at you. So I, I, I wish that sort of thing wasn't so prevalent in magic, and I hope that it that it won't be get worse than it than it already seems to be from time to time, because magic is a sort of brotherhood. It's 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 our fun, isn't it? For most of us, it's 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 a hobby. It's our relaxation. It's how we get away from the stresses and strains of everyday life. And so if being in the magic world then becomes stressful, then you, you start to wonder what the point is. When we're entertaining our audiences, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that the individual members of our audiences, the spectators themselves, have lots of different ways of looking at magic and appreciating it or not, as the case may be. You've got some people, for instance, who are, I would class as almost like believers. These people are very, very keen to be convinced almost that magic really exists. I think this is particularly true of, of mentalists who can be so convincing. And, and I've quoted this before, but I, I went to see an early Darren Brown show, one of his live shows. And when I was leaving the theatre, all the lay people were talking about the things that he'd done. And I heard two girls who were walking behind me talking about the way he did things. And one said to the other, well, he must be able to read minds because there's just no other way he could have done what he's just done. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You see, that These are people who are prepared to be turned into believers, even though Darren would often say, listen, I can't read minds, uh, so uh, I just can influence people and uh, I observe and so on and so forth. But to them, they were converted into believers, even though he said he wasn't a genuine article, because they couldn't see any other way that he could have done it. 
Um, and I can remember a show of mine a few years ago. It was a wedding reception. And uh, there was one man who... It was, I was doing the mix and mingle before they went and had a meal. And there was one man who, who I suddenly noticed was following me from group to group. And eventually, he, uh, in between two groups, he walked up to me and he, and he said... Um, uh, I just want to ask you, said, if what you're doing here, this is real magic, isn't it? I said, well, it's entertainment, so yes, it's 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 not real magic, but it's no such thing. But it's entertainment. No, 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 no. I know you, you're going to say that, aren't you? Of course. But from I've watched you very closely and I can I can see that this there's more going on here than just a bit of entertainment. This this is there's something real behind it. And, and he and at first I thought he was just having a laugh. But actually, he seemed totally earnest. He was a believer. He really wanted to believe that I was had some sort of amazing power, which, of course, I don't have. And I, I almost, I didn't argue with him too much because I didn't have the time, but I, I tried to disavow him of the opinion that I might have special powers. I said, well, it's just entertainment. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. But he, he wouldn't be swerved. So there are people like that who are kind of believers, almost irrespective of, of what you say. Now, at the other end of the scale, of course, there are the sceptics. There are the people who who are determined that they are going to work out how you're doing what you're doing because they do not, under any circumstances, wish to be fooled by you. Um, there was one lady who I can remember who I was doing some magic and she was she was looking at my hands and she just and I tried to engage her in conversation because I, I wanted to misdirect her slightly in order to do a little move. And she said, no, no. And without looking up, she said, no, 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 I'm going to continue watching your hands you're not going to distract me, make me look up. I want to see how you're doing this. You know, she really was obsessed with trying to work out how I was doing what I was doing. And and so she she was not going to be, in any, as far as she could see, going to be distracted away from her sole point as a sceptic, and that is winding out how I was doing it. And then you've got other people who are, I would class as, they're kind of enthusiasts, but the sort of people that when you say, oh, good evening, everybody, I'm the magician, they will immediately pipe up, oh, marvellous, I absolutely love magic. They don't necessarily believe in it, but they are just, they just love what it does for them. They love the excitement of it. They love the, the fun that it gives them. They like being fooled, which is lovely. I mean, these people, and a lot, I think quite a lot of people are like that. If they've had a good experience with magic in the past, they are often very enthusiastic. And obviously it's a joy to work for people like that. And then, of course, the opposite side of that is you get the people who actually dislike magic. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They, they say, oh, I, I hate magic because I can't work out how it's done or oh, it's just so annoying. And they actually don't want to watch it because it puts them in a, into a position that they feel is something that they don't want to have to tolerate. It makes them feel uncomfortable, their lack of knowledge, even if the performance is not trying to make them feel stupid because they don't know how the magic is done. There's something in them that makes them shy away from it. Oh, sorry, I can't face this. I really don't want to watch this. And I've had people sometimes occasionally will just walk away. No, sorry, I can't. Oh, magician. Oh, no, no, no. And they walk away, whether that's because of a bad experience in the past or whether they simply can't handle being fooled. I don't know what it is exactly. But there are people who are sometimes like that and will be positively rude to you, even though they don't know you, by saying, no, they hold up their hand and go, no, 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 sorry, not having, not dealing with this. 
and they'll walk away. So there's all these different mixes of people in our audiences and depending on who the, the dominant group is might decide on whether we have a good show or a bad show. Recently I was looking back over some of my older marketed items and there was one trick there which used a prop which I'd bought from another magic dealer and which I then used as part of a routine of my own. And I sort of thought, oh, yeah, that was a really good prop. And I wasn't quite sure if I still had it or not. And I thought, well, before I go searching, I wonder if it's still available. Now, I, I knew the person who'd invented it. So I went to his website to see whether he was still selling it. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't. But while I was on the website, I was looking at the other things on the website. And he's been around for as long as I have, for decades. And some of these, his classic magic was still on the website and still being sold, which was great to see. But the thing I was slightly surprised about was the website itself. Now, this guy, I would have said, certainly 20 years ago, was very high profile. You don't hear so much about him today, but he's obviously still going because the website is still there and he's still selling these routines. But the actual website itself was seriously disappointing. It looked very old fashioned. In fact, I think I don't know when the last time was I actually went to his site. It was probably getting on for 10 years ago and it hadn't changed at all in that time. And it looked really clunky and although the magic's great that he sells, it's some, he sells some terrific stuff. The way it was presented um, just left a lot to be desired, I thought, compared to some of the wonderful sites that there are around these days. And I and it kind of left an impression with me because I realized that I was forming an a, 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 almost like a view of his commitment to the selling of his magic. If he hasn't updated his website for forever, or felt like forever, then is he not actually that interested in selling magic to anybody anymore? Does he not care what the impression is that he's giving to people? Because that's kind of what you feel. You think, well, this doesn't look great and and so maybe he can't be bothered maybe just well if people want to buy it they can buy it and if they don't they don't i don't know if that's his attitude and it could well be that it is his attitude and he, well i couldn't care less you know it's still there i've still got stock so if they want to buy it that's fine but i'm not going to put too much effort or money into it well that's absolutely fine but if that's not the case if he does still want to have an active presence then it, it felt wrong that he hadn't invested time or money in the look of the website. Now, about um, three, three years ago, I realised that my website was look, starting to look old-fashioned and out of date. I liked it. I liked the way it looked, but it just wasn't modern anymore. And some of the ways that it worked, especially the eClub Pro side of it, where there's a lot of pages, that was getting clunky and getting cumbersome for, and slightly difficult, I think, for people to use. So I decided to invest in the current website in a new one, complete a complete overhaul starting from scratch, which was a major, major project because with nearly a thousand pages on this website, it's, I think it's a big website. And so there was a hell of a lot of work for me to do, not just I mean, obviously, I wasn't doing the designing. A web company did that. And I spent what I felt was an inordinate amount of money in order to get the right type of website that I needed, because there's a lot of quite intricate bits that goes on go on behind the scenes of the website, not just the way it looks. A lot of things have got to work properly. 
but it also involved me a lot my personally in a lot of work now that it's been done and it was launched back in um, t September 2019 I'm very happy with it I'm really really glad I did it because it works better the eClub Pro side of it is is so much improved I'm really happy about that but just the general look of it and the way when you look at it on a phone all the it, it's responsive so it reformats itself so that no matter what you're looking on what whether you're looking on a tablet or a computer or a phone it rejigs itself so you can read it properly without lots of scrolling all this sort of thing makes it look so much more professional and I'm really really glad that I did it and I'm wondering whether if I hadn't done it people would be looking at my website if I'd left it as it was and say do you think I don't know Mar Leverage is bothered about selling magic anymore because look at his website when I was about 10 I'd been involved in magic for about three or four years but I'd never been to a magic shop and where I lived in South East Kent I didn't know of any proper magic shops I used to buy magic from toy shops real sort of amateurish stuff and I got to the stage where I'd heard I'd bought one or two books and I'd I'd seen in the back of the book addresses of magic shops and one of the magic shops that was listed was Harry Stanley's unique magic studio in London so I managed to badger my dad to take me up to London specifically to go into Soho because that's where it was I think my dad was a bit embarrassed dragging me through Soho to find it to be honest not that I noticed anything because I was only intent on finding the magic shop and we, we went and we found the magic shop and we went up some steps and there was a door at the top and we just opened the door and we went in and almost immediately somebody and I of course if these days I would have known who it was but um, I don't know who it was the demonstrator whoever was in the shop came right up to us and kind of stopped us from coming in into the studio and said hello can I help you and I said oh and I was very nervous and I was only 10 after all and I said oh yes I'm, I'm looking for a nice set of multiplying billiard balls oh come in he said and he stood back and let us come in it was almost like if we were just some people who wandered in off the street he wasn't that interested because he was a proper magic shop he wasn't a joke shop it was a proper magic shop so he he didn't want just anybody wandering in but when I mentioned that I was looking for a set of multiplying billiard balls which I was because I only had a little tiny wooden set which I'd as I say got bought in one of the toy shops off one of the stands of magic tricks and and he sold me um, a, a gorgeous set which I still got somewhere they were plexiglass as it was called then so a sort of a shiny plastic they were red with a lovely thin shell it was it was a really nice set way too big for my fingers incidentally at that stage but I did grow into them and I, and I ended up using them for several years once I could uh, once I could handle them with big enough hands the reason I mention this is because this sort of stopping us coming in until it was clear that I knew what I was talking about and that I was a, a proper magician as it were was interesting compared to what it's like today of course because in those days there were no video dems on, there was no online presence of any sort of course we're talking we're talking mid 1960s a, a million years ago and the only access you had to information about magic was as I did finding an address in the back of a magic book which I bought in an ordinary like in a Smith's bookshop 
or if uh, you had a magic magazine like The Gen, which I then subscribed to following my visit, and I used to get adverts in there. But there were, getting access to magic wasn't that easy. And once I'd sort of attached myself, if you like, to the Harry Stanley's Unique Magic Studio, for a number of years, that was the only place, until I discovered Supreme Magic, that was the only place that I used to buy magic. And it was my source of anything, whether it be books, tricks, or whatever it was, props. Nowadays, of course, you, the whole world is your oyster. And I, I'm quite envious of people starting in magic these days because, or maybe it's, there's too much choice, but there's certainly so much choice. You can access information, a lot of it free online, or just get information from umpteen online magic dealers. And you're able to watch tricks being demmed. And although you, that doesn't get you to handle the props, when magic conventions are taking place, you can go along, of course, and you can handle props and see the things demmed. But the ease with which you can get hold of stuff if you've got the money uh, is amazing, really. And, and it must mean that that's why there's so many more people involved in magic these days, because it is just so much easier to get information and to get involved. And magic clubs themselves are much quicker, I think, to invite members because they're often struggling for numbers. So the last thing they want to do is make it difficult for people to join. And so they make sure that people have access to the information. They come along, do an audition, and if they're reasonable, they can get in. So I was, I was just thinking about the, the, the contrast there between sort of 40 years ago and now for people getting into magic and how much easier it is today. And hopefully it's a good thing. Don't know. What do you think? Is it a good thing people can get into magic so, so easily or not? I was watching the video dem of one of my early routines called New Aces Through Newspaper the other day. The dem is actually on eClub Pro because it's in the Vintage Vault section. And I was just watching the routine. It's funny how you do that sometimes. You know, you sort of start off on one thing and you get leads to another, leads to another, and you find yourself watching something you never intended to watch. Anyway, I, w I was watching the dem and I was thinking, oh yeah, I remember doing this routine. What a lovely routine. And there were a couple of moments in the routine where I thought, oh, it kind of caught me out. I thought, well, that was good. And at the end of the routine, I thought, what? How did I do that? It's absolutely ridiculous. I actually fooled myself. I thought, this is, this is nonsense. How can I fool myself? It's because I haven't thought about this routine and its methodology for years and years and years. So the whole thing came up fresh. And it's obviously, it's a take on a very classic trick, the Aces Through Newspaper. But what I'd done was, uh, done was I, I, I twisted it and changed the method and put in a few subtleties, which me today, watching it, suddenly made no sense at all. I couldn't understand how I was doing it. And I sat there and I thought, before I actually watched the explanation just to check that I was right, I thought, so how did I do that? And then I kind of pieced it together and I remembered. And, I, and it made me think, gosh, if I can fool myself with something like that. It's no wonder, is it, that magicians fool other magicians. Now, if you're watching a, an online dem of something and you get fooled by it, you think, well, no idea how that's done. And then when it comes, you think, oh, yeah, of course. Well, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Not normally with your own tricks, it has to be said. But nevertheless, it, it does happen. And that's what's so wonderful, I think, about magic. I love to be fooled by tricks. It's just such a nice feeling because the more experienced you are and the more you get into magic and the more methods that you know and the more tricks you have experience of, 
Of course, that experience of being fooled doesn't happen very often, does it? And, it, and it's kind of a nice feeling if you're not threatened by it or annoyed by it. It's, it's a really nice feeling to get that feeling of surprise, of being caught out. And I can remember many years ago when Tommy Wonder was on, I think it was an IBM convention on the close-up. And uh, he, he, I was in the audience and he chose me out of the audience to come and sit next to him while he did his, his cup and ball routine. Where the bag, that there's a, like a bobble on the top of the bag on a cord. And the, the, bob, the bobble actually disappears at one point during the routine ends up under the cup. And then a few moments later, the entire bag ends up under the cup. And it fooled me. He misdirected me so brilliantly and I completely missed the loads. It completely fooled me. And it was it just made me laugh out loud because you think, oh, I'm well, I'm sitting right up next to him. And I know the cyber magic that he that he does. You'd think you'd be clued up. But no, his presentation was such and the moment was choreographed so beautifully that I was totally fooled by it and I missed it completely. Even if retrospectively I thought, oh, that's when he must have done it. I didn't see it. So that's the power of the magic that we do. And I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of, especially when we're performing for lay people, because we know intimately how our tricks are done, to devalue those tricks in our own minds. Think, oh, it's just a, you know, almost like a throwaway. Forgetting that for lay people who are even further away from knowing what the secrets are than we are ourselves when we're watching it, they can get some, some, there's some serious impact to be had from some relatively simple tricks. And so we should never devalue what we do, but give it the importance that it deserves so that the audience themselves get the maximum impact from everything that we perform for them. Well, there we are. That's June's Mark Leverage podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the various things I've talked about. If you ever want to make any comments, then feel free to email me and, uh, and tell me what you think. But whether you liked it or whether you didn't, let's hope you'll be back next month in July for a bit more. See you then.